Hey, Pastor Scott Rambo here. Join us as we enter into our classroom for this episode and see what it truly means to be followers of Christ. All right, welcome everybody. We're in Titus chapter 2. We're going to read 11 through 15 because uh, looking into the book of Nehemiah, which is what we're about to do over the next probably three weeks at least, maybe four, um, is looking at what the Bible says about being a worker for the kingdom. As a Christian, what is our main goal? To glorify God. That was a trick question. But what glorifies God? Doing His will, right? And doing His will does two things. One, it keeps us under subjection and under obedience, but it also builds His kingdom because for whatever reason, God in His sovereignty and His glory and His grace and His mercy has elected us, His church, to forward His kingdom. He could do that without us, but He chooses to use us. That is such a grace that is bestowed upon the church because He could even save us and not use us, but He still uses us because our God is good, and I love that. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11, reads like this. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. Here's the thing, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one discourage you. Let no one discourage you. So let's uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, O oh God, for the ability to, to gather in, in fellowship and in learning of you. Help us to understand what you say to us through this book, Lord, as we look into Nehemiah and, and what it means to be uh, a worker for your kingdom. Help us to understand and to apply these things to our individual lives so that we can uh, we can grow both in you and grow your kingdom here you know, in this earth, Lord. I ask this in your name. Amen. So, uh, two handouts. One, the one with the timeline at the top, that is from the ESV Study Bible. If you don't have that, it's like $23 for a, a hard copy. And there's a lot of good material in there. The, the introductions alone to each book, uh, they've done a really good job at at uh, the commentary on that. The commentary is good as well. Uh, if you're looking for something else to, to help you grow in the Word, the ESV Study Bible, it, it, it's, it's a good one. It is a good one. But that's this page right here. Uh, other than the maps, there's a big map of, of the trip from, from Babylon to uh, Jerusalem and stuff like that. But this is the material straight off of the page of that. Uh, the other handout is uh, a lot of the same information with the key themes of the book of Nehemiah attached to it as well. Um, and some lessons, some lessons that we're going to learn 
as we look into it. So, who wrote the book? Right? That's where we're going to start. Uh, I know we normally do questions, and this was a question. Hey, what about Nehemiah? This is going to be more of a topic, uh, a, a topic and a discussion. But uh, someone asked, who? I, I don't know a lot about Nehemiah. Can, can we go over Nehemiah? And I was like, absolutely. It's a great theme because the main theme of Nehemiah is what? Be workers of the kingdom. That's what Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Babylon, Artaxerxes. You can look into history. That's why these people are pretty cool, right? Cyrus the Great, Artaxerxes. These, these are big names even in, in secular history. There's Hollywood has taken them and run with them. The, the movie 300, that they literally fight Xerxes, right? And uh, the, these were real people, right? So if we look at just the king alone of Babylon, then we can even solidify even further the validity of the Word of God because we have Nehemiah and others. We're going to see Ezra, Malachi. The time of the Babylonian capture, we have several books of the Old Testament. Most of the minor prophets, Nehemiah is the last of the historical books. Uh, Malachi is, is the prophet at the time. Ezra is the priest at the time. You have people coming from Babylon going to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, Nehemiah is the third of three uh, pilgrimages from Babylon to Jerusalem. So, and, and still the walls aren't built. That's the That's the topic that that is Nehemiah. Nehemiah built the walls in 52 days. We're going to see that, which is a, amazing when you stop and you actually calculate out what what the square mileage was of that city, which we will, in the amount of gates that it took to protect that city and the amount of people that they had working on it. 52 days, it's a miracle. So much so that the the neighboring tribes around them that that meant to destroy them when they seen that the walls were built in the time that it was built even they said that's a god thing god is with those people uh, so that's what we see here so who who wrote the book jewish tradition identifies nehemiah as the primary author of of, of this book uh we're kind of like the book of hebrews right who wrote hebrews we don't really know there's no author penned at the bottom of, of this book. Uh, if you look at the handout with the timeline uh, from the ESV Study Bible, uh, they say that Nehemiah is the central figure. Obviously, it's, it's named after him. Uh, but, and it, it does contain his own records and own memoirs, uh, but they don't actually know who the author of the entire book is. In fact, uh, historians and scholars believe that at one time Ezra and Nehemiah was actually one book it was just one continuous story because what Ezra started Nehemiah finished and it was just kind of a transition a transition of ownership if you want to put it that way uh, nevertheless we, we do have direct words from Nehemiah whether they took that from his journal or whoever was actually penning the book talked to Nehemiah we don't actually know who the author is but we do know the date, uh, we do know the date, which would put us uh, somewhere around 444 B.C., 444 B.C., 445 B.C. <clears throat> Brother, uh, how long did the, uh, 
Babylonians rule over the Jewish people. Seventy years. That was that was foretold by God that they would go into capture for seventy years. Uh, that's what started this whole pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. Is they finally started reading the scrolls, right? They they started reading the scrolls. Ezra started reading the scrolls, and he he found where the prophecy was. You're going to be in capture for seventy years, and then he calculated and he said, "Hey, man, we right here." We right here at seventy years. Maybe we ought to start praying and seeking God, and maybe He'll deliver us because His Word said that He would. And you start the first pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, where they where they establish, and then a, another pilgrimage happens. That's both in Ezra, and then Nehemiah writes the third pilgrimage of building the walls and establishing uh, really a separation, a separation and a union. Because here's the thing, they were still under Babylonian rule. Because the, the stretch of Babylon was the world at that time. It was the world power until Rome took over. And, and so they were still under Babylonian rule, but they were their own little section, just as God foretold. Uh, <clears throat> much of the books written in, in first-person perspective uh, nothing is known about the the youth of Nehemiah. When we first hear of Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer to the king, so he's grow he's grew up in Babylon and is really second to the king. Do some history on what a cupbearer was. It's it's one of the most coveted positions in a kingdom because you literally have the ear of the king. It's also one of the most corrupted positions in the kingdom because how easy is it to buy off the cupbearer and then have the ear of the king right but as we'll see nehemiah was a just man his character was was good and the reason that he done that the one thing the one thing that characterizes nehemiah is a life of prayer he, he didn't do anything without praying first he, he didn't do anything you'll see when the king finally says hey Man, why are you down in the dumps? Because he wouldn't approach the king. You just didn't do that, right? And the king, because he knew Nehemiah, said, why are you so sad? And then Nehemiah perceived that it was an open door, and he said, I'm sad because I'm here in Babylon, and, and my people are, are in shambles, my, my city. Matter of fact, the very words is, the place where my father is buried is in shambles, and I'm here, and I'm in I'm in good condition, right? I, I, my heart is sorrowful. And the king says, what do you want to do? Right? And before he opens his mouth, the Bible says in chapter 1, he prayed to God. And then he said, I, I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home. And we'll see throughout Nehemiah that it, it's, it's, it's a God working for his people to reestablish in spite of their disobedience. Because he foretold it years before that you're going into capture because you're disobedient, because you worship idols, because you do all of these things. But even now, in your disobedience, I'm preparing a way. Right? This is a foreshadowing, just like everything else, to, to Christ to come. And you can look at Nehemiah and his position and the position of the people and the restoration of the people, and you can see us in our sinful ways, that even though we were in sin, Christ died for us. Right? That He prepared a way 
before you even desired that way. He prepared the way. Same thing we see here, that there is a way prepared. There's a restoration to come even before the capture begins. That's what Christ done for us. That even before we were born, He knew us before in our mother's womb, before the foundations of the world, before we even sinned the first time, there was a preparation already made for our deliverance. So looking at the Old Testament, literally, you pick your favorite story in the Old Testament. It's about Jesus. It really is. The whole book, all 66 of them, everything that we have from cover to cover, it's about Christ. It really is. And in consequence, it's about us too. It's about us too. So uh, the book of Nehemiah could be read as a sequel or a continuation of the book of Ezra, which comes right before it. Okay. Uh, some scholars believe the two were originally one work. We covered that. So where and when are we? Well, in the book of Nehemiah, when it opens, we're in Persia. Okay, We're in Babylon. Uh, in the year 444 B.C., and it, it centers around Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We don't stay in Persia long. We go to Jerusalem. Uh, in the third of three returns from the exile to Babylon. And uh, scholars believe that the book was written after the fact. That's why we don't really know who the author is. Um, and it concluded around year 430. 430. So some 13 years. Some 13 years is what we're going to cover in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, fun fact of the Old Testament. Nehemiah is the last of the historical books of the Old Testament. Okay, The last of the historical books. So starting in Genesis, we have the creation. We have the fall. We have a covenant made with a man. We have a covenant preserved right throughout all of Genesis. Then we have uh, occupation of the people before they were a people. Then we have the redemption of those people, Exodus. They leave Egypt and go into Canaan. Okay? All of this is history, historical books. Nehemiah is the last book on the timeline written for the history, the history section. The history section. I know where they're placed in the Bible, it, it can get kind of jumbled up on the on the uh, the timeline because we have the historical books, we have poetry, we have the prophets, and, and we have our own sections for that. But uh, where we are on the biblical timeline, this is this is the last historical book. The next thing after Nehemiah is the 400 years of silence, of nothingness. And then we have Matthew 1, right? From the wilderness, a man come and crying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and, and the last book of the Old Testament is prophecy of that. And all this is happening all at the same time. Malachi said, the, the next time you hear from me, it's going to be a crazy man coming out of the, coming, coming out of the, the wilderness and then things are going to get ridiculous because God with us, Emmanuel, He's coming. Uh, so that's where we are on the timeline. Why is Nehemiah important? Well, that's an easy question. It's in the Bible. If it's there, it's important, right? We, we have Timoth- uh, Paul's writings to Timothy. Everything is important. All of it is important. But it is important. Uh, and here are some of the important things. Nehemiah was a layman. Okay, He was a worker. He was a worker. Uh, not a priest. 
He's not a priest like Ezra. He's not a prophet like Malachi. He's just a man. He's just someone with a desire to do for the Lord. Okay? Uh, he served the Persian king. He was in a secular position, a good position. Nobody messed with the cupbearer because the mess with the cupbearer was the mess with the king. The easiest way to die was the mess with the one that the king cared about the most. Okay? Uh, nobody messed with him. That's also a good way to be killed is to be a bad cupbearer. Okay? Because the king wasn't going to, if he was a good king, a, a, a wise king, he wasn't going to have people in his inner circle that was against him. Right? So, uh, Nehemiah was a just man. He served the king rightly. He served the king in a secular position. Same thing we could say for us. When I work for the water board, that's not God. But I serve them with the, with the uprightness of my heart as a Christian, right? Because I do everything as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. And, and, and we can see that in Nehemiah, that as he served a Babylonian king in a position that had nothing to do with the temple or Jerusalem or anything, he served as one of God's chosen people because that's, that's, that's who he was. So remember that too. But he served. He, he wasn't in the ministry, right? He, he wasn't in the ministry. So the things of God isn't just for those who are in ministry. It's for everyone who believes, for whosoever believes, right? If Christ has saved you, you're a worker. You're a worker. It doesn't matter what your position is. We all work. Uh, he served in a secular position uh, before leading a group of Jews, one of the last uh, groups to leave Babylon. Uh, he, he served them in order to rebuild the city walls. That, that is why they are going back to the city. There's people already there. There's people that have been living there for years. They've, they've rebuilt the temple, right? They, they've established that there's people in the land but they're unprotected and they need protection. They need protection. Uh, Nehemiah's experience and expertise with the king's court equipped him to adequately be in this position that God needed him in. Almost as if God raised him up for such a time as this. Right? We see the same thing, the correlation in the New Testament we read in Titus that, that we are to live uprightly and godly in this age, in this time, in this present time right now because this is the time that God has us in. He's, he, he's not leading us into the future, although He is. But there's a work for you to do now just as if there's a work for you to do in the future. And that work in the future may be something different than you're doing now, but don't be sitting idly by is the theme of the Bible. Be doing for the Lord until you're called to do something else. Be doing. Be doing. You Are you uh, feel a burden to preach, but you're not yet to a level or an age or, or the ability to preach? Cool. Work for the Lord here. Pray diligently in God's will. He'll give you the ability to do that. Right? If He's putting a burden on you, He's going to build you up to that. But be working now. You don't feel like you, you need to be doing anything right now? You need to be praying. Because there's things to be doing. There's things to be doing for the kingdom. We are kingdom builders. That's what we are. That's what we do. That's the only reason 
while we're not saved and then slaughtered immediately or, or fall over dead at the altar or whatever it is to be with our Lord because there's a work to do. There's a work to do. The, the Great Commission, right? Evangelism, witnessing, building the kingdom. That was for everybody. Go back and read that at the end of the Gospel. For all of them. Everybody. <clears throat> Make disciples of what? All men. Everybody. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We like to, to talk about that when we talk about missionary and stuff. But that's, that's for you, Christian. We're all disciples. We're all learners. And, and in, in confidence of that, why are you learning? Why, why? So you can be put to work. Right? Brother Ethan's being trained. Why is he being trained? Well, in hopes that with the money and the time and the, and the information spent, he's going to work and he's going to do. Right? So remember that as well. Uh, under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jews withstood opposition and they came together to accomplish a singular goal. Uh, Nehemiah led this by example. By example. He didn't tell people what to do. He showed people what to do. Right? And, and, and we even see that in the, in the real world. We want to call it like that. The reality is we, we've all had bosses who have told us what to do people who were in leadership that told us what to do, and then people in leadership who were actually good leaders who not only told us what to do, that, that's their job, but they either did it alongside with us or showed us how they wanted, wanted it to be done. Uh, the, the old adage is you got a, you got a leader who is being pulled by a group of people, and then you have a leader who is out in front of the people helping pull, helping pull the load, right? Uh, Nehemiah was definitely the latter of that. He he was he was building bricks and, and building the wall and setting the gates and fighting off enemies with with everybody else, with everybody else. He was in the middle of it. <clears throat> uh, he partnered with Ezra, right? We talked about this being a a, a thing. Uh, he also appears. Ezra also appears in this book. This is all happening all at the same time. Uh, one of the more important things is Nehemiah's humility. Nehemiah's humility. He's a cupbearer, y'all. He's he's like he's a pretty big deal in Babylon, and he leaves all that behind to go to a nothing town with no borders that's occupied still by the same people who he left and to be with his people to to do the work of God. Uh, that's a very humbling thing to do. He, he doesn't have the power of the king, although he, he went with letters. But he's not the cupbearer anymore. The, the king's not going to be without a cupbearer. He, he relinquished that position to go and do what God told him to do. Uh, humility before God, providing this example to, to the people around him. He did not claim glory. You're not going to find anywhere in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah said, I did this. Or it's because I'm such this great big thing. It's the contrary of that. He gives glory to God, not himself. Glory to God, not himself. So, what's the, the big idea? You know, what's the theme of it? Well, Nehemiah is a recording. This is what the book is. It's a recording of the reconstruction of the Jerusalem walls. That's what this book is. Uh, the reconstruction and re- uh, establishing a, of the southern kingdom of the southern kingdom of Judah's capital city that's what Jerusalem is <clears throat> to, 
together, uh, he and Ezra, who led the spiritual revival. So you have Ezra, who is who is leading people into the things of God. He one of the first things, if you read Ezra, when they got to Jerusalem, standing in the middle of the rubble, he, he pulls open a scroll and he reads the law. Right? He he brings people back to the law. He reestablishes God as the leader of all this. We don't have a king. We have a king that lives in Babylon, but he ain't our king. Right? He's God is God is it. And uh, Nehemiah, so you have a spiritual revival going on, and then you have Nehemiah who is building, literally, the kingdom, but is pulling together the tribes of Israel back to unity, back to the things of God as well. One doing a spiritual work, one doing a physical work, both doing the work of God. Both doing the work of God. That's the thing we need to remember in this church here. That there are uh, some of us who do a spiritual work. There are some of us who do a physical work. Most of us do both. But the physical work is the one that gets neglected the most. Right? It takes both. It takes both. Spiritual work and a physical work. Working together. Uh, Nehemiah's life, it, it provides... Uh, Really, a fantastic study on leadership. If if you're aspiring to be a leader, read Nehemiah. Read Nehemiah. Okay, in, in, in any fashion. I'm I'm not just talking about spiritual. I, I mean, if you want to be a manager over people at work, read Nehemiah. If you if you if you want to be a, a good father, read Nehemiah because he's a he's a good leader. He he leads by example, and that's the only way we really can lead. Uh, Richard Paul hears me say a lot of stuff, but he does what he sees me do. It's just plain and simple, right? Same way in the spirit, we God has said a lot of things, right? And then we look at Christ as the example who who said the same thing. Uh, same thing we see from our spiritual leaders. I, I really don't care what you're saying. I do care what you're saying. Words matter, but I care a whole lot more about what you're doing outside of this, right? Because if you're living a, a separate life from what you're saying and doing in the church, then it really doesn't matter what you're saying. You need to stop saying it. Even if you're saying the truth, you need somebody else needs to stand up there and say it, right? So remember that as well. Uh, he overcomes opposition from outsiders as well as insiders. They, they had both there. Uh, he exercises uh, administrative skills, uh, which is a, a gift of the Spirit, gift of administration. Pretty cool. Uh, he strategizes whenever he uses half the people to build the wall and half the people to guard the wall, right? They even get down to where the, even the people building the wall are building with one hand. And they still did this in 52 days. They're building with one hand and holding a sword with the other. Pretty pretty neat stuff. You don't, you don't think God is in control of what he wants? Absolutely he is. Absolutely he is. Uh, Nehemiah becomes governor. He, he, he is there as a political figure for Babylon. So, so he relinquished being a cupbearer, but he's still, he's still a pretty big deal in the government of Babylon, right? So he's there as a political figure, but he's also there as a native, and he's there as a, a physical leader as well. Uh, he exhibited steadfast determination to complete his goals, which was the goals of God. That's what we need to do. We need to be determined to run our race, right? We're trying to keep it biblical to to do the will of our Father always. Always. 
And how does this apply? How does all this apply to us? Well, we've been talking about it. But uh, the book of Nehemiah shows us the, the kind of significant impact one individual can have when operating under the will of God. Okay, It always starts with one. It always starts with one. Somebody is always the first to say, I, use me. Lord, I'll go. I'll do whatever we need to do. And, and then the Word of God says what? That it catches like wildfire from, from that one person. It, it spreads and and I stand up and I say, I don't care what the world's doing, I'm going to follow God. And Brother Matt gets influenced by that because he says, well, man, if, if Brother Scott can do it, then, then I'm going to do it because my desire is to do that too. And for whatever reason, I haven't been able to. And then Brother Ethan says, well, there's two of them. I'll, I'll join in. And it just it, it multiplies and it multiplies and it, and it multiplies. Day of Pentecost, it started with 120 before the, before the service was even over. 3,000 is, is saved, right? I heard a, a speaker say today, and don't quote me on this, do some research on it, really, help me with this, said when the law was given, 3,000 died. When Pentecost happened, 3,000 was, was brought in. Y'all write that down. Help me look that out. Tell me if that's biblical. Tell me if that's biblical. We're going to be looking in Exodus, I, I would assume. Uh, but when the law was given, 3,000 died. And when Pentecost happened, 3,000 were saved. So, I don't know. That's a, that's a, a for side thing. Maybe we shouldn't have recorded it, but y'all help me look too, whoever listened. But let's look at that, really. That'd be a cool little study to do, to, uh, to look at, to see. <clears throat> so it applies to our lives because we're all individuals, right? I see heads nodding. Is that right? No? Don't know yet? Okay. Uh... Nehemiah served. That's another thing. That's how it applies to us. Nehemiah didn't wait for somebody else. Nehemiah served. Okay. Nehemiah didn't say, "Well, well, I'm gonna wait if Miss if Miss Denise takes off, then I'm gonna go." Right. Nehemiah didn't say, "Hey, I see this need. I'm gonna raise up somebody." Right. I'm gonna cultivate somebody. I, I'm a I'm gonna really mold somebody to do what I think God's. No, he he did it. He did it. Is that true? Exodus 32 and 28. So Exodus 32 and 28. Let's go ahead and read it, brother. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of that day of the people that day about 3,000 men. There you go. Exodus 34 2 also uh, Robert's out. Okay. So, so. 2 and 41. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew the day of Pentecost. I knew 3,000 was, was, was brought into the kingdom that day. So, so just for clarification for those who are going to be listening in later. Uh, so, Exodus does say that when the law was given, the Lord took 3,000 people that day. 3,000 men. And then when grace is given, when the new covenant is brought in, when the church is established, that day of Pentecost, that first salvific message is given by Peter, 3,000 are saved, right? So, uh, another reason why I'm, I'm glad I'm on this side of the New Testament. I'm on this side of the New Testament. And, and that's biblical too, because that's what the Word says. The, the, law, the law condemns, right? But Christ saves. Christ saves. So, God uses all manner of people. This is the thing to remember. Nehemiah is just a normal person. A normal man. Okay? He's not a priest. He's not a prince. He's not a prophet. 
He's not in any kind of ministry or anything like that. He's, he has a, a, a day-to-day job and a burden placed on him by the Lord. That's it. So any, anybody can be and anybody is used by God. God uses who He wants to use. He's no respecter of person, which is great because none of us was anything until God stepped into our life, right? <clears throat> Maybe you've, maybe you've felt, or you know people who have felt like that, that, that I can't really do anything for the kingdom if I'm not in ministry, right? I know I felt like that when I was growing up because it seemed like everybody who was doing for the kingdom was a preacher, right? Or, or an evangelist, or a missionary. you a big deal, you know? But that's not nowhere in the Bible where you have to be this person to be used by God. It's actually the opposite. You're a horrible person. God changes you and He uses you, right? Think back on Sunday night of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus into Paul the Apostle. He wasn't a good man. He, like, straight up wasn't. He even says that of his own accord. I was the worst of sinners. But by grace, here I am. Here I am. So, Nehemiah could say the same thing. Not that he was doing sin. But he is a man, right? But it wasn't because of his position that God used him. It was the other way around. God placed him in a position to use him. To use him. Same thing we see with us. Same thing we see with us. So have this attitude of your work. Colossians 3 and 17. Right? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Do everything that we do as if God is your boss because He is. He is, right? We, we use that uh, as a negative thing in, in the world. If I have a boss that never leaves me alone, what we say, well, He bird dogs me. He's just always, he, he's just always on me, right? Well, God is very much that way. He's, you're never away from Him. Think, think about that next time you think you're alone and doing whatever you're doing. You're never away from God. Right? Dad told me one time, he said, when you're, when you're by yourself, think, think that your mama's with you. Right? That changes your thought a little bit. Like, ooh, what? Yeah, when you go on your date, yeah, act like your mama's with you. You know? Ooh, what? But he even told me one time, he said, act like you're on a date with your mama. And I was like, mm, I don't... No, no, I can't think like that. But that was, that was exactly what he was trying to do. I wasn't thinking like that, right? But we need, to, we need to be thinking about that as Christians. We act unchristianly a lot. We really do. We act as if God doesn't see what we do, but the Word of God says that He's recording everything that we do. We act like what we say doesn't matter, but the Word of God says that He's writing every word that comes out of our mouth, and that's what we're going to be judged by. We need to act right a little bit better, right? I, me? Me. I'm talking to me. That's why the first thing I seen whenever I seen Miss Kayla, she was the one that asked about Nehemiah. I said, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> here, here, here it comes. Because I'm studying this last night going, oh, I wasn't doing a lot of amen and I'm doing a lot of oh men. Oh me. Oh me. Oh me. Because here's the thing. I do a lot. I do a lot. Spiritually and physically. I can do more. I really can. I really can. 
Do I need to do more? I don't know. That's a personal question. Each one of us needs to ask that. Can I be doing more? Do I need to do more? Should I do more? Should I let somebody else do it? Well, according to Nehemiah, if I see something that needs to be done, do it. Do it. And not only that, lead by example and have faith that God's going to build up a people to do it with me. To do it with me. Do the work, and then one day you'll look over your shoulder and there'll be people putting bricks next to you. Right? But remember Titus too. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged when you're the only one looking at the wall. We're going to see that in Nehemiah. He goes off by himself, leaves everybody. And he takes a donkey and he, he goes around the wall and inspects the wall and the gates. It's just him. This is a discouraging thing. He comes back and he's like, we are in a, we're in a bind, y'all. This is a big deal. But then the very next chapter, they're building the wall. They're building the wall. So some lessons. Some lessons to take. Okay. Uh, to take from Nehemiah is one... Uh, it takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. Uh, you want something to do? You think that you need to be doing something? Maybe you're like Nehemiah. He wasn't in the ministry. Maybe you're just somebody who co comes to church. Maybe you're just somebody who's saved. Maybe you're just somebody who reads the Bible. Maybe you're just somebody who prays earnestly for God to use them. Maybe you're a vessel waiting to be used. You ever think about that? It's two, two sides of that same coin. One, one side says, well, I don't know what's wrong with me. God isn't using me. The other side of that coin is God saying, I have a work for you to do. You just, you're not seeing what's in front of you. right? You're not seeing it. Pray. We pray amiss a lot. Are you praying rightly? Are you praying the will of God? What do you want me to do? A lot of times, and me included, I bring a lot of things to the Lord. Sometimes I don't stop to ask God, what, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? I, I bring a list, uh, a Christmas list sometimes too. Like, this would be cool, this would be neat. Oh, I know it's all in your will, Lord, but if you could really squeeze this in, this would be good, this would be good, i really like to see this. And rarely I find myself, and I have to repent over this because it's a sinful prayer. I have to repent because I'll say, okay, I love you, Lord, bye. And, and I never ask Him, what's your will in all of this? Hey, I, I, I have this issue, I have this thing, I'm going to wait on you. What, do you. what do you say? Right? What do you say? We have a lot of one-sided prayers where God wants to have communion with us. He wants to have relationship with us. And the problem is, is because I, I say a lot and I never stop. Right? If I show up at the house and I talk for three hours and, and ask, ask Tab, what do you think about this? And then just answer and, and just keep on going. She never gets a word in. Have we had a conversation? No, she's heard me talk. And, and more than that, she's very aggravated. Right? Think on that for a second. We vex the spirit within us. We aggravate our, our God. We, we really do sometimes when we pray. We need to repent over that. We do. We need to ask God and then stop and listen. Read. Be washed by the Word. Be ever in prayer. And He'll answer us. He always does. He always does. And it's going to come in the weirdest ways, too. It may come from a five-year-old who can't even read yet, but he got a Bible for, for his birthday, right? And he, he opened it up to like a few pages, and then 
man had one of the best messages I've heard ever. He said, "We got we got to make good choices, smart choices." He said, "You want to know what I learned in the Bible? Right there in the front of it, we need to make smart choices." Here's the thing: he don't have a clue what he read, but that's exactly what Genesis says at the beginning. We made some dumb choice. Adam made some dumb choices that led to the fall of mankind. He needed to make smart choices. Here's the thing: we do too. We do too. That's a five year old out of the mouth of babes, right? He ain't got a clue. Pure in spirit, I, I I I pray earnestly that he holds on to that, that he that he's saved at a young age, that he doesn't go through life like I did. That none of that has to be, none of that has to be. <clears throat> Makes me happy. You know, it really does. It really does. Because all he's doing, and this isn't a, this is a humble thing. It really is for for a father. To see their five-year-old son emulate what he's seeing. And what he's doing is he's preaching at home. Because that's what he sees his daddy doing. But not only that is he's he's doing what I'm doing. So pray that I maintain a good character and a good example. Not just for my son, but for my family. Not just for my family, but this church. Not just for this church, but for the, the very position of, of pastoralship that that I maintain good character, that I'm above reproach, right? That I, I maintain what I need for this office, and it shows forth throughout all of our life. That's what building this kingdom is. It starts with you, and then it affects the ones next to you, and then it affects the next ones to them, and it spills off into this world where the kingdom is feathered. Where the kingdom is feathered. So it takes all kinds. Three men play an important role. In uh, rebuilding Jerusalem, uh, you have Zerubbabel. He's the prince. Okay, he's the prince. Uh, Ezra. He's the priest and the scribe. And then we have Nehemiah, and really a fourth. He, he's he's not in the book. That's why I left him out. But the prophet Malachi is is this same time. It, it, this is all happening at the same time. Uh, the prince and the priest, they, they played their roles well. God has them in place. He's, God is using them. But they can't get the one thing done that needs to be done. The, the walls are still not built. We have a priest who's, who's preaching in, in the temple, who's presenting the law, not only uh, fulfilling the role of priest, but as scribe who is, who is teaching the people the, the law. It takes both, right? And you have a prince who's a prince over rubble at this point. But here comes this man out of nowhere named Nehemiah who goes to church, right? listens to Ezra, falls under subjection to the prince, and builds the walls. Does the work. He does the work. Uh, they failed to build the walls. The temple is still uncleansed. They They can't sacrifice. They can't do what needs to be done. Uh, they're being taught the law, but they can't do anything with it. Right? It's two very important things. They can't protect themselves from danger. They can't worship God correctly, uh, according to the law at this time. Nehemiah, a layman, does a very important work. A very important work. Uh, and God raised him up to do that. That's lesson one. Lesson two, pray about everything. Pray about everything. 
When the Bible says pray without ceasing, that's literally what that means. You can look into the Greek. You can go back to the original text. What Pray nonstop. Don't stop praying. That's what that means. And Nehemiah did that. He believed in watching and working. Uh, he also believed in working and praying. Prayer is the main thing that characterizes the man of Nehemiah. He was a man of prayer. A man of prayer. Uh, this book is short. It's 13 chapters, but they're short chapters. They're, they're little. Uh, 14 times, 14 times we see Nehemiah pray. It's written down in, in the book of Nehemiah. Before he set out on a project, he prayed. Okay. Before he approached the king, he prayed. Uh, when he was in trouble, he prayed. When he was out of trouble, he prayed. Nehemiah prayed about everything. Everything. And, and like I said, he was the cupbearer. He had the ear of the king. But yet before he spoke on behalf of God's business, even though the king looked at him and said, what do you want? He prayed. He prayed. He knew what God wanted. He wanted the walls built because that was the burden in his heart. But when he was presented the opportunity, when God flung the door open, right? Nobody talks to the king. The king talks to people. The king looked at Nehemiah and said, tell me what you want to do. Nehemiah made sure to pray that what he wanted to do was what God wanted to do. Right? Even when... So here's the thing. Nehemiah had been praying. Okay? Actually, the first chapter says that even though the king... He wasn't sorrowful in front of the king. So he had been praying before. Been waiting on an opportunity. Now the opportunity is presented. How many has ever been there? You've been praying, Lord, do this, do that. Help me to see this. Help me to do that. Then one day, there it is. And then we just kind of fall off into it. Right? That's a time for prayer too. Even when the opportunity is presented, pray. Pray. Lord, thank You for this opportunity. But now, guide my next steps. Make sure that even though this is the opportunity, make sure I do it rightly. Make sure I do exactly what You want. Because the first time we're presented with what we want, guess what? I get very excited. Right? That thing I've been praying for and in the rightness of heart and it's the desire and I know it's the will of God. But then I go and mess it up. <laughs> I go and mess it up because immediately, that's how fast we do this thing. We pray to God. We do everything right. God gives us what we're praying for. And then I start doing it in myself. Right? Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He never wanted to be the one doing the work. Even though he was the one doing the work, he didn't want to be the one behind the decisions of the work. God is in control. God is in control. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, what, a, what an example. A man of prayer, that's what we're supposed to be. A woman of prayer, that's what we're supposed to be. Uh, lesson three, care about the things of God. Right? It's not enough to be praying, but we need to be praying about the right things. Be praying for the things that God cares about. He was concerned. Nehemiah was concerned about God and His... Uh, his will. <clears throat> as much as Nehemiah cared about Jerusalem, uh, he didn't run ahead of God. That's the thing. When when he heard that Jerusalem was in shambles, he didn't get up and leave. He he actually got up and went to work. Right. He he cried continuously. That's what chapter one says. For days he mourned. 
and then he got up and went to work. Right? He, he continued doing what he was called to do for that time. I'm the cupbearer. That's what I'm going to do. While praying, while seeking, while waiting. That, that's the theme of Nehemiah. And really the theme of the whole Bible is be about the Father's business even if you don't know what that business is. Be working for the kingdom. Be doing for the kingdom. We know, even if we don't know what our next step is, we know I should pray and read our Bible and witness and, and, and be the church, right? Be loving to each other. We know there's things that we should be doing even if I don't know what position I should be in. Does that make sense? I know I should still be a Christian no matter what I do. No matter what I do. Uh, Lesson four, we'll see, is uh, God leads different people in different ways. Okay? He, he, He just does. We're all led in the ways of Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But but each one of our testimonies is different. Right? And I'm not even talking about our, our, our salvation testimony. Just like the way our life plays out. It's just completely different. I got to this position in, in this office a different way than somebody else did. Right? It, God leads us all through different ways. Uh, he doesn't lead us all the same way because we're not all the same people. We're really not. We're being made into the image of one person, but man, there's there's some different avenues that we that we take in that. All through Christ, I, I'm not talking salvation. I'm just talking life. Life plays out differently, uh, and and we see that. You look back in Ezra. He led Ezra back for the first two pilgrimages. Um, uh, he led Ezra back with no support at all. They just got up. They got word that the king said y'all could go, and they just left. They went through hostile hostile areas, and, and all. they just went to Jerusalem with nothing. Then you see, we'll see Nehemiah leaves with letters from the king and half of the Persian army leading the way with protection, right? Sometimes we do this thing alone. Sometimes God provides help, but God nevertheless is there always, always. Uh, he uses both ways. And you'll see that even in your life. There's times in your life when it's you and God, and that's it. In the world. Think of a, a missionary going to the Congo or somewhere. It, it, it's just them. That's it. Other times, we, we get to come to church, and we have like-minded individuals, and we have help in this. We have help in this. But God's there nevertheless. So if you find yourself when it's just you and God, be grateful that God's there. When you find yourself in times where it's you, God, and a, a host of others to help be ever more grateful that God's there and that He's provided help. That He's provided help. And lesson five is God sees your faithfulness. That's what we need to understand, that God sees you. He sees you, Christian. He didn't see you before. He couldn't look on sin. Right? He chose not, but then, then He showed Himself to you. He sees you now. He sees your faithfulness. He sees when times is hard and you're still faithful. When you do His commandments, basically, He sees when you're obedient. He knows that, and He writes that down. Uh, the rebuilding of the walls, it, it's one of the one of the greatest, probably the greatest building projects of, of all of the Bible, uh, surpassing the ark. The ark took a, a lot of time to build, surpassing just about anything. 52 days to build a temple and set gates. Uh look around at all these houses being built man they've been built for months and that's just a 1500 square foot house right 52 days to build 
It's hard work. It, it wasn't that the work was easy. Hard work. But nevertheless, God was with them. It took a lot of people. It started with a few and ended with a lot. It took a lot of people. God raises up who He needs. If it's a big work, He raises up people to do that work. If it's a short work, He raises up people to do that work. The thing to remember is to be a part of the work. Be a part of the work. Uh, many, we'll, we'll see, many made significant sacrifices. Nehemiah being one of them. He left a cushion life in the palace to go build a wall in the desert. But he did what God told him to do. And he's remembered it to this day from it. That's what leads us to the next thing is why, why genealogies? Here's the thing. Ne Nehemiah has some big names in it that we can't pronounce. Okay, Why the genealogies? Nehemiah asked God to remember him. How many? That hit me hard. How many remembers that? Or not remembers that, but, but thinks that. God, remember me. Remember me. Because here's the thing. A lot of people forget us. We go throughout our day, and, and we're not on a lot of people's radars. We're really not. Uh, especially for those who, who just reject God altogether. You're, you're just one of those. Right? They don't even know us. We're just one of those for the most part. Nehemiah prayed and he asked God to remember him. His concern was just that, that he was concerned for God's people and God's work and God's city, but he knew the moment he died, people would start to forget him. They, they, they would just stop knowing who Nehemiah was. Same thing happens for us. Uh, let me get put in the ground. My family remembers me. My wife surely remembers me. My son will remember me. But let generations go on. Eventually, not out of love or, or, or out of hatred or, or anything. You're just forgotten. The further, the further you go from your point of death, you're just, you're just forgotten. I was gracious enough to, to know a lot of my great-grandparents. I even have a few glimpses of remembrance of my great-great-grandmother. But Richard Paul don't know nothing about her. I don't even have a lot to tell him about her other than her name. The next generation, it'll be that much further removed. You see what I'm saying? I had nothing against the woman. Didn't know her. Right? My mama knew her. See, it, it, the further you get, the more we forget. We just forget. Life goes on. Nehemiah knew that, and he prayed God to remember him. We have short memories. We really do. Uh, the wonderful thing is this, that God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget His people. He doesn't. He forgets our sin. Right? We learned that. He forgets our sin. He doesn't forget you, though. He remembers you. Matter of fact, that's what salvation is, is that He knows you. He knows you. Oh, no. It's beeping at me. Uh, there's there's genealogies throughout all of the Bible, and Nehemiah is one of them. It's as if God is saying this that that these are my people, and I know them, and I want you to know them too, right? Not that they were important, but that the work that they did was important. The position that they had in the timeline it was important. Uh, 
throughout all of Scripture. Genesis 49, we have the list of the 12 tribes for the first time. Samuel 23, we have a list of David's mighty men, right? Those who, who stayed with David. Uh, the first few chapters of First Chronicles is a list of all the families of Israel. That's a, that's a huge one. That's big. Uh, Nehemiah 3 is the list of the workers. Not only a list of the workers, but read it. It's literally the parts of the wall that they built. It's pretty neat. Very specific. Romans 6, a roster of hellos. Right? Hey, know this person. Know that. Say hello to this person. Have fellowship with this person. And then Hebrews 11, we have all those who were found faithful from, from Genesis to that point. God remembers each person and records their name. He records us. He knows us. Uh, Dr. McGee, uh, he's a theologian. He said this, and, and be thinking on this as we read through Nehemiah. Uh, if we want to be in God's will today, somewhere along the line we will have to become involved in the movement of getting the word out to hungry hearts. None of us can do it alone. It must be a team effort. Okay? Look on... Oh, no. Somebody read the Spurgeon quotes. I left that out of my notes. It's on the bottom of your thing. It is one of the first and last qualifications of a good workman for God that he should put his heart into his work. Hard work will do almost everything, but in God's service... It must not only be hard work, but hot work. The heart must be on fire. That's it. And, and we'll see that in Nehemiah, that not only did he did the work, but he desired to do the work. And that's what we see a lot in churches today. We have a lot of people working themselves to death. If they didn't have to, they wouldn't. It, it just It's just truth. What God desires is the heart. Always. 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 So remember that. Brother Matt, pray and dismiss us, and then we'll have questions. Father, thank you for another time to come together, Lord, and read your word, God, and reason amongst ourselves, Father. We thank you for this genealogy that's in this book, God, for the story, the testimony of Nehemiah, the things that he did for you, Father, that he was a man that did seek after your will. Father, his heart was set on you and your things. Father, I pray that in this in this church, in this fellowship, God, that you would speak to hearts and minds, God, that our will would be your will. That, Father, you would lead us into those places where we need to be. And, God, that just as your word says, Lord, we look out and what we should see is that the fields are right for hearts. Father, even those in the church, God, need to see the part that they need to play in that harvest and in the work that needs to be done within these walls. Father, I pray for those who weren't able to be here tonight, God, for those who have infirmities in their bodies and their minds. Be with those who've had surgeries that are recovering, Father. Speak to them tonight, God. Let your angels minister to them. I pray they find time to be in your word tonight, God, that uh, you can give them a word of their own, Lord, that they might come to have more faith in you and to grow. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for being in class with us today. Tune in next week as we dive back into God's Word and learn more of Him.